It's time to blow the trumpet in Zion. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress, brought to you by the National Prayer Chapel with Pastor Ray Greenlee. Today's sermon is pre-recorded. So let me read 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20 one more time. For as many as are the promises of God, in him is the yes, and in him the amen, for glory to God through us. This is such great news. An agreement was made in the heavenly realms that the word of God would be sent to the earth and opened to you. This agreement was validated It was authorized, it was ratified by Jesus. God the Father sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross, giving you full access to his blood for the very specific purpose that the promises of God would be opened for you. Every single word in this book is yes and amen. Every single word is open to you for your salvation. The blood of Jesus opens up the promises to us. I don't know about you, but that really, when I was, became conscious of that revelation, I've gone back, and it's changed everything when I've opened this book. Just asking Jesus, what do you want to say to me today? Where do you want to take me? How do you want to guide me? What do I need to do to come into agreement with you? so that the promises will come alive and I will walk according to your purpose. Welcome to the National Prayer Chapel. of Christ my King Through eternal ages let His praises ring Glory in the highest I will shout and sing Standing on the promises of God Standing 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 on the promises of God my Savior Standing Standing I'm standing on the Standing on the promises that cannot fail When the howling storms of doubt and fear assail By the living word of God I shall prevail Standing on the promises of God Standing, standing Standing on the promises of God my Savior 
is I cannot call Listening every moment to the Spirit's call Resting in my Savior as my all in all I'm standing on the promises of God message today is the foundations, the foundation of prayer, the foundation of prayer. Mighty God, I can't speak this word today without the quickening of your Holy Spirit, both in my mouth and in the heart of the hearer. Lord, would you come now? Would you quicken our hearts in the name of Jesus? Amen. I grew up in a a family that prayed. Morning and evening, we gathered for family worship. My father would pray. My mother would pray after reading the scriptures. Then my oldest brother and then me, then my young next brother and then the youngest, which was me. Morning and evening, we did this. I would go to church, and we would pray. Prayer was very much a part of my my whole life. We would go to prayer meetings, and we would spend the hours praying. But I never saw much happen because of the praying, and that bothered me. I didn't understand. Now, my middle brother... Our family would, was in a very difficult position. Dad was a salesman for Bibles and Christian books and literature in Laramie, Wyoming. And he was arrested because they had Green River laws, which said you're not allowed to go to a house to sell. So he was arrested, and he couldn't work. And so the family became hungry. We didn't have money to buy food. So dad would gather us in the morning and we would pray. And we would ask Jesus to send us the food. Almost always God delivered us. I don't ever remember going hungry. But my middle brother, being a very practical little guy, he'd go down to the corner and he'd find money on the ground. And he'd come back and he'd say, Daddy, I found this money. You can buy food. Finally, Dad began to question him after this happened several times. And he admitted that at Sunday, as the offering plate was being passed, he would scoop money out. And then he'd go hide it down at the corner and find it. Well, it put the church to shame because they should have been covering for Dad because he was also pastoring that church as a 
lay volunteer. But often in my life, I've been tempted to answer God's prayer. I mean, I pray and God doesn't answer. And so I'd better do something. I'd better become an entrepreneur. I better go ask people for money. I better go do something because God's not doing anything. And if God's not going to do anything, I've got to cover for God. And then, of course, I would say, and look, this is what God has done. When it wasn't God at all, it was my entrepreneurial spirit and my guerrilla marketing. And there came a time in my life as a pastor where I finally said, everything in this church has basically happened because of my personality and my drive and my hard work, my advertising, my television, my radio work. And I finally went to the prayer closet and I said, God, I'm not going to cover for you anymore. I built that church. You didn't. It belongs to me. But I've said it was yours. I was lying. Now, I don't recommend praying this way. But I finally got honest with God. And I said, I can't cover for you anymore. Either you have to show up or I'm done. And I had some very lucrative business opportunities. I said, Lord, either you show up or I'm going to go do business where I can be honest. Because in the church, I'm being dishonest. I'm the one doing it. You're not. When I reached that point, I began to recognize that basically God had left me. And I was on my own. And if I wanted If I wanted the Lord, if I wanted God to be in charge of my life, I was going to have to give up my life. And I was going to have to ask, you might want to just turn quickly with me to Psalm 118. I was going to have to recognize that I was at the end of myself. Now, please, then I thought I was at the end of myself. But to be honest with you, I was just at the beginning of myself. You know, we fool ourselves so quickly and so easily. And the truth is, most of us don't pray until we have to. Until we're pinched hard enough. And then we'll decide we'll pray. And believe me, I've got 101 ways to relieve my own pain. You know, we can take the drugs. Television is one of the biggest drugs. We can take our cell phone. That's another drug. Our internet. We have lots of drugs we can take to veg out. But when we stop taking any pain medication... And finally say, God, I'm going to die if you don't come. That's when the journey begins. And we begin to be enrolled in the school of the Holy Spirit. Could I put it another way? We begin to be enrolled in the school of prayer. Psalm 118, verse 13. I was pushed back and about to fall. But the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. 
Shouts of victory and joy resound in the tents of the righteous. The Lord's right hand has done mighty things. The Lord's right hand is lifted high. The Lord's right hand has done mighty things. Well, in my church, I said my hand has done mighty things. Now, I didn't say that publicly, obviously. But I said it in my heart. And God had to bring me through a very painful process of sickness, of financial catastrophic loss, the loss of houses and cars and retirement. God starts by stripping us. And we think we're going to die. And we might, if our heart is sufficiently rebellious. When we begin in our hearts to say, the game has to stop, and I want God. I want Jesus. No matter what the cost, I have to have him. And you're enrolled in the school of prayer or the school of the Holy Spirit. You're going to be pushed back until you feel like you are going to die. Verse 17, I will not die, but live and proclaim what the Lord has done. The Lord has chastened me severely. The Lord has flogged me severely. The Lord has whipped me severely. But he has not given me over to death. Now, as soon as that realization comes, that what's happening in my life is not chance. It's God's saving power because somewhere we began to cry out to God and say, I need you. And when we say, I need you, God, he's going to come. And he's going to begin to bring into our heart and our lives every discipline necessary to prepare us for this next step. Verse 19, open for me the gates of righteousness or the gates of innocence. If you read carefully Hebrews, the 12th chapter, you will see that God chastens those that he loves because it's in the suffering that we begin to get real with God and we finally begin to turn aside from wickedness and say, I have to have you, God. And the gates of righteousness begin to be opened to us. I will enter. That is, I will enter the gate of righteousness. Jesus Christ is the gate of righteousness. This is the gate of the Lord through which the righteous may enter. I I will give you thanks for you answered me. You have become my salvation. And then it begins to describe Jesus. The stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. The Lord has done this, and it's marvelous in our eyes. What happens is as we begin to be chastened by God, and the cry begins to arise from our hearts, open for me the gates of righteousness that I may enter in. We begin to enter into Jesus Christ. Now we come and we begin to pray. And this is where we need to begin to build an honest foundation for our prayer life in Jesus. 
Some of you pray as you drive into a parking lot. You shoot prayers at God and say, God, could I have a good parking spot? Some of you pray by musing. Do you know what I mean by musing? Ruminating. Rambling. You treat prayer like it's yoga, an exercise to have a catharsis of your soul. You, you, you pray because you feel better after you've prayed. You've had it all bottled up and now you pour it all out and now you feel better because it's like some people have a good cry and they feel better. That's not what prayer is about. I only pray for one reason. And the reason I pray is to be answered. I don't pray as an exercise. I don't pray as a catharsis. I pray because if God doesn't answer me, I'm going to die. Or someone else is going to die. I pray because I have to have God. I have to have Jesus. I have to have the power of the Holy Spirit moving or nothing's going to happen. Can I be honest with you? It's not hard to build a great church today in America. The pattern and the the paradigm is all laid out. You can go read it. All you have to do is put your announcement out, have enough cash reserved so you can hire the finest musicians. Then bring in a big name speaker and crowds will come. And you begin to build your human organization and you call it the church. But it's really about entertainment. It's about meeting people's needs so that they feel like, oh, wow. Like one church close by, a mega church. You go into the church and they have their breakfast club. The restaurant is wide open so people come in and bring their families and they can have breakfast at church. Lots of people come in and have breakfast at church and then leave. All they wanted were the loaves and the fishes. Then you have your singles group and your your golden year group. You have all of your, your programs. And the pastor now is a program manager. The pastor is a activities director. And mainly women come. When the National Prayer Chapel, when the Lord began to commit me, commission me, ask me to pledge that I would do what he was asking, I said, Lord, I have just one request. Please send more men than women. The women are always welcome. They have much softer hearts than we men. But if the men will come, we know something's happening. See, you can do church in America as a business and be very successful. But if you want to do church as an entryway into the kingdom of heaven, you're going to have to be broken. And the people are going to have to be broken. And there's going to have to be confession of sin. There's going to have to be forgiveness flowing in the blood of Jesus. There's going to have to be integrity and honesty in what we say and what we do. And that foundation that allows us to begin to pray is, first of all, the suffering that God will bring us through. 
a person who has not suffered will not know how to pray. Not pray so that they're answered. The gates of righteousness have to be opened if your prayers are going to be answered. There has to be a determination in your heart that you are going to follow Jesus, that you are turning your back on the world and you will follow Jesus and you will obey and you will listen to him. The gates of righteousness, of innocence, dikasune is in the Greek, it's, it's innocence, it's rendered like a piece of meat. How do you render it? You put it in the, in the fire, on the water in the fire, and you boil it, and the, and the fat comes out of it, and you skim it off. Well, likewise, in the New Testament church, as we suffer, the suffering is caused by our sin. We turn away from that. And turning away from sin hurts. Let's be honest. Turning away from an addiction hurts. You have to have the power of Jesus there to enable you to turn aside and walk righteous. We don't do it in our power. It's by the power of the blood of Jesus. And so as we come in that process and we've given ourselves into the hand of God, now we need to pray. God will hear any person who prays, Lord, I've been wrong. Will you forgive me? God hears the cry of the repentant. But then this foundation has to be built if God is going to continue hearing our prayers. And the foundation is the foundation of God's bringing punishment into our life and suffering into our life. Because out of that comes righteousness as we turn away from wickedness and we say, no, I'm not going to go that way. I will not turn away from my Lord. But then in 2 Peter, the first chapter, we are given an incredible understanding of the next step in our prayer life. Second Peter, the first chapter, verse 3. Second Peter, the first chapter, verse 3. If you have not underlined this or marked it, please do so. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Let's focus for just a minute on knowledge. Knowledge as opposed to wisdom. Wisdom is the high overarching understanding, the philosophical understanding. It's not necessary to have that to follow Jesus. Too many of us have spent too much time on the wisdom of God and not the righteousness of God. He's speaking here not of wisdom, but of knowledge. Knowledge is the practical one, two, three that we go through as we walk with Jesus, the practical understanding of how we walk with Jesus. Not all of the whys, and those are important, 
Doctrine is important. But what's more important is the knowledge of how we walk with Jesus and what is necessary for us to walk with Jesus. That foundation that we must have laid says his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Let's stop just a minute. Please understand. Salvation does not come from my heart. Salvation comes from Jesus. I've heard some people say, well, I'll go ahead and do this now, and I'll repent later, and I'll come to Jesus. No, our coming to Jesus is not our smorgasbord choice of all the things we can do. When God calls us, the door is open, and we're called, and we can enter in. But if we're casual about it, and we say, oh, yeah, when I get time, I'll do that. Well, when you have time, you're not going to be interested in doing that because the Spirit of God will have passed you by. Don't play with God. This is serious. It's life and death, not just for you, but for those that God has called you to touch, your family, your children, your friends. Now he says, verse 4, through these, through what? By his glory and his goodness. He has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. All sin comes out of wicked lust. Lust is that moving part of our of our spirit that desires to please itself and desires to be God. It's rebellious. It's after the, the man Adam. That has to be dealt with. He's saying we deal with our wicked nature. We deal with our sin. We deal with the hurts of our heart. We deal with everything around us by his great and precious promises. So that through them you may participate in the divine nature. You see, the blood of Jesus was shed for you and me. Jesus was the atonement. It's not what was done to Jesus that provided atonement for us. It's what Jesus did that brought atonement. It was not the punishment on Jesus that brought our salvation. It was Jesus alone. He is atonement. In the Greek, Jesus and atonement are synonymous. They are the same. Jesus is atonement. And so he came and he offered himself. That blood that he shed begins to bring a conviction in our hearts. It begins to open us to our aloneness and to our condition. And as we begin to be aware of that, 
we're given the grace to repent, to turn aside from sin, to be born from above. Jesus said to be born from above. Paul talks about its crucifixion. And then we begin to enter into the divine nature through the promises of God. Through the promises of God. Now, if you don't read this word, you will not know what the promises of God are. Every word in this scripture is a promise of God. And as you read it, and as these promises are quickened by the Holy Spirit in your heart, you now begin to hold on to that promise. You begin to enter into the divine nature by standing on the promises of God, by prayer, as you read that promise aloud to God. And when I started this journey, even though I'd been a pastor for many years, I didn't know how to pray. And I made a commitment that I would pray for one hour a day. And after 10 minutes, I'd said everything twice that I had to say, and I knew I was in trouble. I didn't know what to say. And I'd stay on my knees because I was stubborn. I'd made a commitment. I was going to be there for an hour. I was miserable. I didn't know what to do. It was like God was far, far away. It was like I was being a foolish man. I was wasting time. And then the Lord somehow, it wasn't my wisdom, led me to the Psalms. And I began with Psalm 1. And I read it aloud to God. Let's read it right now. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. And of course, blessed means how happy. How happy is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. Or stand in the way of sinners. Or sit in the seat of mockers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. I was reading this out loud to God. He is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. Not so the wicked, they're like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. And I began to cry like a baby. Because suddenly I knew that I was not planted by a stream of water. I was planted in the dry desert. And my heart was dry. Inside I was in agony because I knew God wasn't with me. But it says, you have to stop walking in the counsel of wicked or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers. Well, I didn't sit in the seat of mockers, but I certainly walked in the counsel of the wicked. My whole church board was wicked. They were prosperous businessmen who contributed large amounts of money. And they were wicked men. They had a form of godliness, but they had no power 
All they had was money, and I thought money would do it. I read this, and I said, Lord, I'm not planted by the water. I'm planted by the money. And the money's not doing it for me anymore. My heart is aching for you. I have no power to overcome my sin. I keep getting swept away. So I began to read. He's like a tree planted by streams of water. I began to say, Lord Jesus, would you plant me beside the water? Would you begin to meet the cry of my heart? I'm going to die if you don't. He says, whose leaf does not wither. You know, I felt like Cain. After he murdered his brother, he had to move to the land of Nod. And Nod, in the Hebrew, the first meaning is a land of, of wandering. And east of Eden meant in the Hebrew, always starting over. And I felt like all my life I'd been trying to start over and do something that would work. But the word nod means more than just wandering. We've adopted that word in the English. What does nod mean in the English? It means you're going to sleep. I can't think of anything more dangerous than to go to sleep in the land of wandering. That was Cain's condition. He was asleep to his desperate condition before God. So I began to pray this. Say, Lord, I get blown away. I'm pleasing my board. I'm pleasing the people in my church. There's no righteousness here. And that's when my senior staff, my paid staff, and the key leaders went on a weekend getaway. And they came back and told me that they'd all gone skinny dipping together. I frankly, I said, I'm done. Is this the kind of church I birthed? I don't want this. This is wicked. So I fired some staff. And I said, God, what do I do? And he said, this is your church, not mine. Remember? Close it. If you want me, close it. And I began the process of shutting down my enterprise. And that led to seven years of no public ministry, just reading the scriptures and praying, five of those years homeless, where I lost everything, cars, houses, retirement. Now, I'm not saying you're going to have to lose everything, but some of you already have. You know what I'm talking about. When you begin to read these psalms, their promises, and you begin to stand by faith on these promises, 
And you begin to cry out and say, oh, God, don't let me get blown around anymore. Plant me beside the water. It says, therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. And I've been crying out to the Lord. Could I stand in the assembly of the righteous? That's all my heart wants. To stand in the assembly of the righteous and praise Jesus' name. Doesn't matter what the size of the congregation is. It only matters whether our heart is utterly, fully, totally given over to Jesus. And we're being disciplined. And and many of us in this congregation are being severely disciplined. We've gone through a desert time. I believe we're now coming to a time when our time of trouble is over. The Lord has been preparing us to bear testimony and witness and to teach others the way of righteousness. Jesus paid for this with his life. So believe me, he takes it more seriously than we do. But we will pay with our life if we're not as serious as Jesus. We will face the judgment. And will we stand in the assembly of the righteous? Or will we stand in the assembly of the wicked? There has to be a foundation for prayer. We can't just open our mouths and say whatever happens to come out. We have to have a promise of God and stand on that promise and not waver on it. There are some promises that I've been standing by faith on now for over 40 years. I came to Washington, D.C. as a young man, 22 years old. And I began to stand by faith that revival would come. I had a professor, M.K. Eckenroth. He would stand in front of the class and he would say, the finest hour of the gospel in America is yet to come. And he was an old man, an old timer, and he used to travel the country with a, with a big tent that would seat 5,000 people. And he said, we'd pack that Every night we'd pack that thing out with people and people were weeping and repenting and crying and getting right with God. He said, today, if I put up a tent for 5,000, I'd be lucky if I had 25 or 30 people show up. They'd come and ask if it was a circus. And when I, they found out it was a religious meeting, they'd be gone. There's no interest in it. But he said, I want to tell you the day is coming when men and women will hunger after Jesus in America. The greatest hour is yet to come, and that lit a fire in my heart for revival. And I began to cry out to God that he would send his Holy Spirit to America once again. I've been standing in that promise for more than 40 years, and it hasn't been fulfilled yet. Other men of God have prayed all of their lives for revival, and they never saw it, and they've passed I pray I don't pass before I have an opportunity to see what God is going to do in America. 
God wants to do something here. But it has to start in my heart and your heart. And it starts by repenting. It starts by being initiated into the school of the Holy Spirit. By paying the price. By not blowing away because we want this or that toy. One man said to me, Oh, Pastor, I want to be there. But I can't be there this Sunday because I have to be with my family. Hmm. I want to be there, Pastor, but I can't be there this Sunday because I have to work. I wonder if he's going to miss out on the judgment day and come rushing up at the last minute and say, I'm sorry, Jesus, I had to work. Are you kidding me? Or I had to do this or that. Jesus said, let the dead bury the dead. For revival to come, there's going to have to be, in our hearts, a cry to repent and get close to Jesus and endure whatever the suffering is that's necessary to get our hearts right with him. And then to stand on the promises of God and believe that he will bring them to pass. Mark 11, 23 and 24, I've stood on those promises for so many years, commanding this mountain of of deadness in my heart to be removed and cast into the depths of the sea. Praying that this mountain of wickedness that has crashed down on America would be removed and cast into the depths of the sea. I pray this prayer over many of you, asking that God would remove from you the load that breaks your back and burdens you down so that you're not free to seek Jesus. The foundation of prayer is made up of the stones, the promises of God. You cannot pray in a manner that God will hear and respond to if you do not intimately know the promises of Scripture. If you were to look at my Bible, you would see it worn out. You would see torn pages. You would see underlining the promises of God because they're my life. And for every attack of Satan against me, I come to the promises of God and I find the promise the Spirit is quickening in my heart. And I pray that prayer. And I say, Jesus, I know you've heard my prayer and I stand by faith. Whether I see anything in the physical realm or not, it doesn't matter. I am going to wait on the Lord. Can I tell you what Jesus likes more than anything else? 
a person who's willing to wait on him and not rush ahead with your own plans. To wait on the Lord. Oh, but my life is going by, and if I don't do it now, I'm going to lose this opportunity. Wonderful. Lose the opportunity and find Jesus. Life is not about opportunity. Life is about righteousness. Life is not about making money. It's about righteousness. And righteousness only comes through the promises of God. The healing of our heart, the restoring of our soul, takes place in the prayer closet as we stand on the promises of God. Are there life experiences that are causing you anguish of heart? I've said to the Lord, Lord, I've wasted so many years. I've wasted so many years. We serve a God who reclaims those lost years. And he restores us. After we've lived with Jesus for a million years, those wasted years are going to be very short and small. When I think of Moses, 40 years he took care of the sheep that were not even his. He herded sheep. 80 years of age, he's called to take God's people and birth them from the womb of Egypt. I don't think you can find one great man or woman of Scripture who did not go through the anguish of the wilderness. And it was only the Lord God of heaven who delivered them, and it was deliverance based on the promises of God. I challenge you, when you pray, have a promise as your foundation. Don't just talk to hear yourself talk. Be serious about God and about the work of the Holy Spirit in your heart. And let him bring you into the school of the Holy Spirit, the school of prayer. Because anything that is accomplished outside of the power of Jesus Christ will be burned at the end of time. I don't care if it's a church that you raise up. I don't care if it's some great humanitarian project that you raise up. Whatever we do that is not of Jesus, by his power, will burn at the end of time. 
And we may escape through the flames and may be saved. But the straw that we built with will be burned. I want to build with gold and silver and precious stones. I want to build with what Jesus Christ gives to me and what he does in my heart and in my life. So when we come to pray, either publicly or privately, have a promise you stand on. If you don't stand by faith on the promises of God, you will not stand at all. And I bear witness today, I testify today, that all of you being here today is from the heart of Jesus. You didn't come for me. You didn't come for a show. You came because your heart is hungry for Jesus. He is building this church his way. Not through entrepreneurial marketing. The Holy Spirit. Lord Jesus. You said that this church should be built on the rock. And that the gates of hell could not withstand it. Lord, I've seen the gates of hell withstand the church all my life in America. I stand on your word that the gates of hell cannot withstand your church. And that you will accomplish the work in my life and in the life of my precious brothers and sisters. That we would be fit vessels for your Holy Spirit to be poured forth for the, for the nations. Lord, have your way today. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. And will forgive for 
been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley, pastor of the National Prayer Chapel. Come visit us. I love you, my brother, my sister. I'll talk to you soon. <laughs>